Zdrasi tovarishi i dobro pojelovat sad power. I'm Roberto. And I'm Brendan, and together we're ranking the Russian rulers from Rurik to Putin to see who gets to party it out in the Kremlin or gets shooped off to the Gulag. This week, uh, which uh, which number is this? Ruler number 13. what? Ruler number 13. Uh, I forget. Sviad- Svalbard? Svalbard the first. Svalbard. Svalbard the first. And we have a couple of new patrons joining our ranks today. First of all, we have one of our favorite artists, Mandy Robertson, and she will now be known as Count Mandy of Yekaterinburg, main artist for the Hermitage. Thanks for joining us, Mandy. Not count, not Countess? Nope, Count. <laughs> That's what it says on the, the Patreon thing. Do they gender um, titles, noble titles? Yes, in Russian? they did, but I'm just going to say Count for everybody. Okay. Thank you for joining us, Mandy. Must be a big fan of Sesame Street. Ah, ah, ah. One gulag, two gulag. Ah, ah, ah. Well, I also want to say that Mandy did the artwork for our Welcome to Zarvi episode, and she's also making the artwork for the first year anniversary D&D special. More on that closer to July. I don't have the picture just yet, but she's doing awesome work with it as always. And we also want to thank Adam, who will now be known as Duke Adam of Periaslavl, the scourge of the Cubans. Thank you both for joining us. <laughs> you laughed too much at Cubans. <laughs> Oh, wait, yeah, it's, it just sounded like Scourge of the Cubans, and I was laughing. Oh. <laughs> nope, I would never write that. No, Scourge of the Cubans is Batista. Oh, God. <laughs> yep. Well, hopefully we don't piss off any Fulgencio Batista fans in the audience today. I don't care about them. They they, they know they did. They picked the wrong side, and so did the communists. Exactly. <laughs> And before we jump into today's episode, we want to let you know about Pontifax, a Rexipod that ranks all the bishops of Rome from Peter to Francis. Um, sorry, bishops of Rome? They're the popes, buddy. Okay, okay. I'm sorry, Brie, but I'm sorry. <laughs> They're the first among equals. Thank you very much. <laughs> Haven't you ever heard of apostolic succession? Okay, and the next thing you're going to tell me is that the filioque isn't heretical and belongs in the creed. Come on. Absolutely. I mean, come on. Don't you want to get on board with and the sun? Well, to hear about all of these controversies, go and listen to Pondifax. And here is their promo. How you feel about them lambs, though? They're pretty delicious. (laughs) Hello, I'm Fry. And I'm Brie from Pontifax, a papal history podcast ranking all of the popes from Peter to Francis. In each episode, we explore the life of a single pope, and contextualize their papacy in world history. And then we rate them based on the success of their papacy, how scandalous they were, their impact on the secular world, what their face looked like, and more. They may even pick up a new patron sainthood on the way. In the end, our most impactful papal bull-worthy popes will battle it out for the keys to the pearly gates and to be the popiest pope who ever poped. You can find Pontifax at pontifax.podbean.com or wherever you find your podcasts. And on the Agora Podcast Network. I've really enjoyed listening to their podcast, and they're the ones who introduced me to the Rexipod genre. Also, knowing Brie and Fry, they really appreciate being on episode number 13, since Brie really likes her spooky things. Indeed she does. All right, Brendan. So it's time for the recap. What do you remember about... Nothing. <laughs> Sviatopolk. I'm going to stop you right there. Uh, well, I, I... Sviatopolk. Uh, I forget his name. Sviatopolk was this. I forget his name. Um, <laughs> that says something, doesn't it? Sviatoslav II. <laughs> <laughs>
Uh, Sviatoslav II. I'm trying to think. I want to say... Okay, so his father was Iziaslav. No, it was not. His grandfather was Yaroslav. Sviatoslav. Oh, right, Sviatoslav. Okay. Oh, that's right. He came right after um, Vysiaslav the Sorcerer. He was actually memorable. Um, okay, so Sviatoslav the, f- the second, you said? Sviatoslav, yes. Iziaslav's the first brother. Oh, for those of you guys in the audience, I had to give Brendan a family tree because things are getting hectic in Russia. Yeah, wait, they're getting way too complicated. I was already having, I was already struggling to keep track of things before. And now it's just, now um, Now we just need family like, trees. It, who's, whose brother is that? Oh, he died, right? No, he didn't die? Oh, okay, but he's whose son? Yeah, just like, whatever. Because uh, there's a, so there is a Sviatoslav on here, but he's marked as Sviatoslav the first, son of Yaroslav I put that wrong then. He's Sviatoslav the second. I'm sorry. Okay. Yes. Well, anyway, my understanding, okay, so he's a son of, he's one of the Yaroslavichi, sons of Yaroslav. Mm-hmm. Wait, I, I think I remember now. So he gave his sons some some cities to control, but his sons kept losing them and he kept had he kept having to go and get them back. I remember that. That is correct. Hey, no, nothing else rings a bell. I think, I know. That was pretty much it. <laughs> he overthrew, I think he was, he overthrew Vysiaslav the Sorcerer, yes? No, he overthrew Isiaslav in his second reign. Okay. So yeah, so essentially, uh, TLDR, Sviatoslav was the Prince of Chernigov, and he was a combat dude. Like, he was really good at, you know, fighting and everything. Uh, essentially, when he led the the wars, the Rus prevailed. When Isiaslav led them, everything kind of got screwed up. And then, so after Isiaslav's second reign, he was like, actually, Isiaslav might try to take away my land because I got all this land while he was gone. So let me actually take over. So he worked with his brother Vsyevolod I and took over Kiev. And then he ruled until his death. And as you mentioned, all his sons would, would be given territory and then they would lose said territory rather quickly. It was taken by his uncle, I believe, or his cousin. It was just cousins like crazy, which we're going to get into again, because this is the fourth time we're going to go through this timeline. Because, I mean, cousins, like, I'm pretty sure at this point they were, like, not bothering with, oh, he's the second cousin, twice removed, all these classifications. Just, just like, it, it's just everybody who's not a, a brother is a cousin. Exactly. So if they're not related to each other directly, they're just cousins. And I will be referring to them by their patronymic names pretty often. But of course, that gets very confusing when you're like, okay, but who's that guy related to? So Family Tree is on the website. If you're driving, I'm sorry. You know, wait till the you finish driving to, to look up who's who. I'm trying really hard to make sure you understand who is, you know, related to who. But there's a lot of them because Yaroslav had a ton of kids and they had a ton of kids. It's not as easy as, oh, yeah, then they killed each other. Then the brothers killed each other before they had kids. Nope. Uh, that all got ruined after Vladimir. Yeah. If if there's one thing I have to hint, it's one thing I really have to praise Tolkien for is in the Silmarillion. He includes a lot of family trees. That is as necessary as it was in that book as it is in real life. Exactly. Well, I guess it's time to jump into Sievolod's episode because we're 10 minutes in. We haven't talked about the guy yet. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we have. We have talked about him roughly in the last three episodes, but not in too much detail. This time, Mm -hmm. he's in charge. So since he is the first of his name, I guess it is time to go into his etymology. So, Sievolod, we've seen the, you know, the prefix Sie, which means awe, and Volod comes from the word mm-hmm. Volodieti, 
which means to rule. So Sevolod means the lord of everybody or everything. So it's quite similar to Vladimir, which means the owner of the world. So it's just kind of rules over everything. Um, and I find it kind of funny because he is the last of the Yaroslavici, which means he gets to rule over everything. <laughs> but we'll more on that when we get into his um, his life. Yeah. And for those of you at home are like driving, it's spelled V-S-E-V-O-L-O-D, Sivolod, which is kind of difficult for Westerners to pronounce because it's an odd the odd spelling, odd pronunciation. Yeah, it is. C-A. Like, I'm assuming when I pronounce it, okay, so I have to make kind of a V sound, but then immediately switch to a C. Yeah. So I'm just like Z, Svia, Mm-hmm. Really weird letter combos. <laughs> Welcome to Russian grammar and alphabets and language. Well, Sievolod was born in the year 1032, Yaroslav the Wise of, and Ingegerd of Sweden. He was the fourth son of six, and he had four more sisters. So he was basically the middle child that was forgotten about, mostly. Not really. Well, we also don't know much about his early life, but we can assume that he was properly educated, thanks to Yaroslav the Wise's love for education, because he was a tome guy. Yeah, he was a tome man. And we can tell that he was actually the favorite child of Yaroslav, because thanks to a treaty that Yaroslav made of the Byzantines in 1046... Sievolod was married off to a Byzantine princess named Anastasia as part of an armistice with the Byzantine emperor Constantine IX Monomach. With this marriage, Vladimir received the best blessing he could ever receive in just a few short years, the birth of his son, Vladimir, occurring in 1053. To accentuate the boy's royal ties to Byzantium, he was given the surname Monomach. Alright, Brendan, uh, put a very big box around Vladimir Monomach's name. He's important. I can't do that on this computer. I have a Mac. Oh, well, it's already boxed and colored in for you on the family tree. Yeah, he's already boxed and yeah, he's already boxed and colored in. Also, I noticed that you colored all the men in with light blue and the one woman with pink. Wow, way to uphold gender roles. That's just how it worked out in the <laughs> It's a little it's a little old to be pushing gender stereotypes on him, don't you think? You know what? It's just how it worked out in the the, the family tree thing I used. Alrighty. Okay. Now, in 1054, we enter the realm of things we have covered almost consistently until the death of Sviatoslav II in 1077. This will be the fourth time we go over all of this information. So I'm going to do the Super Spark Notes version and just cover his influence in the area during this time because, honestly, we covered a lot of the information during Izyaslav's, Sviatoslav the Sorcerer's, and Sviatoslav II's reigns. And they did most of the actual things during this time period. And um, I'm going to be very sorry, but just to catch up really quickly, we're going to do it in a year-by-year factoid. So he's going to kind of say, all right, here's a year. Here's what didn't happen. And just kind of continue on from there. Because I'm sure you guys are very tired of hearing this all over again. And if you want more details, just listen to episodes 10 through 13. Alrighty, now in 1054, his daddy, Yaroslav the Wise, passed from this life to the next, and Sievolod received Periaslavl, a city located close to the steppe border, and meant for defense. This is important because the steppe tribes started making their way into Rus' territory and attacked the Rus in their town south of Periaslavl. Sievolod approached these steppe tribes and repelled them back to the lands from which they came. However, the straw-haired Cumans approached the Rus' border, led by their leader, Bolush. Sivolod managed to negotiate with them, and they returned to the tribes. Sivolod could only breathe a sigh of relief. 
1059, the Yaroslavici release their uncle Sudislav from prison, monk him and add his lands to the Principality of Novgorod. 1060, the brothers go off and keep fighting more steppe tribes, managing to repel them. 1061, the Cumans come back to the border and attack Periaslavl. Sivalod goes to fight them off, but gets his ass kicked by the Cumans and their leader Iskal, who then returns home with tons of booty. 1067. The brothers fight Fsieslav the Sorcerer and capture him through trickery. There may also have been a godly punishment sent to Fsievolod because his wife, Anastasia, dies. This is probably from giving birth to their daughter Anna, commonly known as Yanka. More on her later. 1068. He gets his ass kicked once again by the Cubans, along with his brothers. Guess Fsievolod cannot handle the Cubans at all. Second time is not the charm. In his retreat, Periaslavl is behind the Cuban forces, so Sivolod is forced to go to Kiev instead with his big brother, Iziaslav. As we know, Sieslav the sorcerer takes over, and Sivolod has to flee from Kiev. He returns to Periaslavl and makes peace with the Cumans, and marries a Cuban Khan's daughter. Her name is Anna Polovetskaya, with her surname coming from the Polovsi, which is just another word for the Cumans. So her name is just Anna Strawhaired. 1069. At the behest of his older brother Sviatoslav, Sivolod gives an ultimatum to not attack Kiev. 1070. He has his first son with Anna, named Rostislav, and finds the Church of St. Michael at a monastery in Vidubichi, which is just offside of Kiev. 1072. He gets together with his brothers to move the relics of Boris and Glib. 1073. He gets convinced by Sviatoslav II to overthrow his brother Iziaslav. The reasoning? Because Iziaslav might take his lands away from him. This was a lie. Isislav coveted Svetoslav's lands, not Svetoslav's. Svetoslav takes the throne. And that is the end of our little factoid, because we have now reached 1076, and we have caught up on our timeline on Svetoslav, technically. Because we've reached the end of Isislav's rule in 1078, but as of today's date, that was months ago, and Brendan, I feel like you could use a refresher. Yeah, well, I'm just excited to know what uh, happens with Sviatoslav because I understand that this is going to be a long one. Yes. <laughs> well, on the death of Sviatoslav in late December 1076, Sviatoslav arose as a new Grand Prince of Kiev on the year of 1077, as according to the inheritance cycle that Yaroslav placed down. However, this is only for a few short months because Izislav then makes a return for the third time to Kievan Rus, and Sivolod, as a new Grand Prince, prepares his men for an intense battle. They meet in the field, staring at each other, when Sivolod waves a little white flag and goes off to talk with his big brother. When they exit the tent, Izislav comes out with the crown of Kiev, while Sivolod is crownless. Yes, Sivolod bloodlessly gave up the throne. This is because he was possibly heeding his father's words to listen to his eldest brother. Following the rules of succession, the second city of the Grand Princedom of Kiev, Cherdigov, was inherited directly by Vsevolod, much to the chagrin of his nephews, the son of Sviatoslav II. Alyek Svetoslavich, who was located in Chernigov at the time, decided to flee from the city after a spat with Sievolod and headed to the Izgoys, or the people, the princes who don't inherit, favorite city, to Maturakan. With Alyeg now fleeing from the city, his elder brother, Gleb Svetoslavich, who was the current prince of Novgorod, who we saw as a prince who kept losing to Maturakan last episode, is murdered after being pushed out of Novgorod. Izislav then decides to send Gleb's remains on a two-month journey back to Chernigov to be buried, as burying the Svetoslavici in Novgorod would only cement their claim to the Novgorodian throne, which is something that Izislav wanted back into his control. Sivolod gave Gleb a grand funeral, as Gleb was known to be a rather great guy who helped out the commoners. 
However, this would cause quite a few problems for Sivolod. With Gleb's burial in Chernigov, this only cemented the idea that the Svetoslavici ruled in Chernigov, and the remaining four sons considered the city and its surrounding territories to be their rightful inheritance. They needed to protect their rights as the heirs to Chernigov, and since Alieg was now the oldest Svetoslavici, it fell on him to bring a force together. Alieg met with his cousin, Boris Vyacheslavich, in Tumaturakan, where they talked and talked over a bottle of booze and a few pickles. Their bravery stood up within their chest when Boris spoke up, saying, quote, Wouldn't it be funny if we hired the same humans that beat Uncle Sievolod and took back the throne of Chernigo for you? End quote. Alieg responded, That would be amazing! I've got the money! Let's do it! These are not real quotes, by the way. And in their stupor, they began their journey to the Cuman lands and hired them, promising them some of the riches located in Chernigov. Aliag and Maurice arrive at Chernigov with their large Cuman army, along with their personal Druzhina, and Sivolod sees this force. As the prince of Chernigov, he has to fight. He exits the city and faces the force head-on. After a long and bloody battle, Sivolod runs away with his tail between his legs, and the cousins take control of Chernigov, with Aliag in charge as the main prince. The Chernigovian force is completely spent after this fight. Sivolod made his way back to Kiev, where he bowed at the feet of his Prince Izislav I. He told his brother about everything that had just occurred in his city and that he needed his help to regain his land. Izislav scowled and tapped his fingers on the arms of his throne. He leans forward, his chin resting on his hand, and slowly speaks. You would beg for my help? You, of all people! After you had come here with our dead brother and took my throne from me, do you really think I will help? Sivolod looked defeated at this point because Prince Izyaslav had a great point. However, Izyaslav leaned back in his chair and waved his fingers nonchalantly at the pleading brother. Quote, in the spirit of brotherly love, I will gladly help you. Sivolod's eyes grew and together the final two Yaroslavici gathered forces, mostly made out of the Kievan army, and went towards Chernigov. Along the way, Sievolod is joined by his eldest son, the half-Greek, half-Rus, Vladimir Monomak, and his personal forces. The trio arrived at Chernigov and found the city barricaded against them. The denizens let no living soul enter the city, and Sievolod could feel that they definitely preferred the rule of the Svetoslavici compared to his. However, Sievolod's spies came and told him that Elieg and Boris had left the city to gather more forces. Deciding the time was right to take the city with no opposition, Izislav commanded that Sievolod join him to attack the main city gate, while Vladimir Bonomak flanked and attacked the eastern entrance. With this two-pronged attack, the outer city gates of Chernigov were opened, and the Yaroslavici, in their anger against Chernigov, set fire to the outer city, forcing the inhabitants to flee into the inner city. News soon arrived that Aliega and Maurice were returning to Chernigov to attack them. The Yaroslavici moved out of outer Chernigov and prepared for battle. Aliyag at this time, seeing the massive force, suggested to Boris that an attack now was not beneficial and that they should hold off, but Boris was too headstrong and went out to attack regardless. Aliyag sighed and went out with his force as well, and the battle commenced. The battle on the Meadow of Najata was, according to the Chronicles, full of awful carnage. Boris Vekislavich was killed first in a battle due to his foolhardiness. However, both sides lost the leader, as Izislav I perished after being impaled by a spear. With his forces depleted, Aliyek Svetoslavich retreated from the battle and went to where else? Can you guess, Brendan? Uh, the Cumans? Poland? Nope and nope. Where, where do the people tend to go run off to? The mountains. That's in Georgia. <laughs> so? 
There are mountains in Russia. Okay, yeah, but not close to here. Uh, Constantinople. I mean, he does go there at some point. Um, no, he goes off to Tumaturakan. Ah, uh, okay. It's a safe haven for all of these, you know, rowdy cousins. And- Princes in exile. With that, Sievolod was left alone on the battlefield alongside Vladimir Monomach, his son, and was victorious. He found his brother's body and proceeded to make funeral arrangements. But the crown of Izyaslav, which was sent to his brother by the Pope, now rested on Sievolod's head. He was the last remaining son of Yaroslav the Wise. So now he's officially the Grand Prince of Kiev. For a second time. Nice. Good for him. Yeah. It's like it's like he was bound to become one to be in this episode. I, I didn't think he had it in him, but congrats. You know, he, he kept losing and then somehow he won. I'm giving thanks to his to his son for leading that battle. Upon arrival to Kiev, Sievolod became quite comfy in the palace he had grown up in and immediately made his son, Vladimir Monomach, the Prince of Chernigov. He then decided to placate his nephew, Yaropoki Zyaslavich, and gave him the Principality of Turov because he wasn't directly inheriting the Kievan throne. However, the Svetoslavici were not content with this because they did not get any land and wanted to get Chernigov because they believed that to be their right as their father had been the primary inheritor of the land. Now, another Svetoslavich by the name of Roman also went as far as to hire the Cubans to do his dirty deeds. And let me tell you, they were not done cheap. <laughs> I thought you'd like that. Yeah. He went to attack Sievolod's original city of Periaslavl. However, before any fights could begin, Sievolod sent an emissary and he made peace with the Cumans. Seeing his army retreat, Roman moved back with them where the Cumans murdered him on the route back to the steppes. Yep, that checks out. In Tumaturakon, the remaining Khazars managed to capture Alieg Svetoslavich, and they shipped him off to Constantinople. So he did end up going there eventually. <laughs> you know, all roads lead to Rome or Constantinople. I mean, Constantinople is just Nova Roma, so technically you're not wrong. Yeah, but it's not Rome. It's not, but it's better. At this point, at least. It's, it's Romans, like, doing being Roman better mm. than the Western Romans. Oh, yeah. Because they last in longer. Absolutely. Well, it appears that Sievolod was cleaning up the Svetoslavich line, and he put a man named Ratibor in charge of Tumaturakon. So when I was reading this guy's name, I kept thinking his name was Radagast. Do you just want to call him that? <laughs> um, What is his name? Rostislav? His name is Ratibor. Ratibor. No. Okay. I would rather not. Okay. Not not just not just because I don't it's not because I don't like Tolkien, it's just because I don't like the uh Peter Jackson adaptation. Okay. Uh that he appears the in. The Hobbit. <laughs> yeah. The adaptate the trilogy that shall not be named. We we just named it, but okay. <laughs> you did. I didn't. Okay. With the earlier death of Gleb and Roman, this leaves three remaining descendants of Sviatoslav the second. That being Alieg, David, and the super young Yaroslav. The bloodlines are being cold by Sievolod, but we're going to see these three guys pr- pretty often. But the fights would just not end, because once more, the steppe tribes came out of the woodworks and began their assault on Rus once more. I said once more twice in that sentence. Oh well. Sievolod, not being the best general, decided to send his best general, his son, Vladimir Monomach, who managed to easily repel the steppe tribe. So he's, he's, he's doing things that benefit him, and since he recognizes he can't really lead an army. Yeah, good for him. Mm-hmm. That gives him some Spetsalnaparazia. However, even if you remove a few Izgoi from the map, Yaroslav the Wise was quite fecund, and his sons were the same way. 
because we then have David Igorievich and Volodar Rostislavich coming out to cause issues. David was related to Igor Yaroslavich, who died pretty early into the triumvirate's rule, and Volodar was related to Rostislav Vladimirovich, who was a man that worked with Sieslav the Sorcerer, and met his fate through a nice poisoning by the Byzantines in 1066. Anyways, these are all nephews or grandnephews of Sievolod. But, you know, sometimes I miss having the brothers killing each other before they have children. This sort of made this so much easier to write. Yeah, I have to say, that's kind of an, that's a surprisingly underhanded move by the Byzantines. Or maybe not, I don't know. I mean, it's just a normal Byzantine move. <laughs> yeah. Well, David and Volodar worked together and captured Tumaturkan from Radibor, the man in charge of the city, and kicked him off to the curb. They then stylized themselves as princes of the city, and they were pretty much left alone after this. After a couple of years, Aliyek Svetoslavich manages to escape from Byzantine occupation with a new Greek wife, and he enters to Maturkan, full of swag, and captures both David and Volodar. From his position of power over the city, he calls the Khazars that captured him, and then murders them all, along with the Cumans that killed his brother, Roman. David and Volodar are kicked out of Tumaturkan after this, but left largely alone. And this time, Alieg was quite successful in keeping the city, and placed it under nominal Byzantine control, and he began to call himself the Archon of Khazaria. Alieg is a pretty cool figure, we're not going to go too much more into his life, because um, we're going to do a bonus episode on him. Well, this episode has basically been everybody but Sievolod, and I don't know if that changes much, but whatever. Next thing, since Sievolod gets a visitor. On Pascha, or Easter, Yaropoki Zyaslavich, the Prince of Turov, decided to visit the Grand Prince. The reason? The sons of Rostislav, Vasilko, and Volodar had gone to Turov and taken the city from him. Volodar is getting a nice track record here of usurping cities. I swear. <laughs> Anyways, Sievolod does what he does best and gets someone else to do the work for him and sends who else but... Who do you think it is? The humans? No, Sievolod. Who's, who has he been sending out to deal? Yeah, to, Sivolod. Yeah, who does he send out to uh, um, deal with his uh, military with his military stuff? Uh, his son named Vladimir Monomar. Yes, so he sends his son to deal with the usurpers. In the meantime, Yaropokizyaslavich is given the city of Vladimir Volhinsk to take care of, and that city is like is to the west of Kiev, like near the Polish border. Our other usurper, David Gorievich, decided that being kicked out of Tumaturkan wasn't enough. And as part of getting revenge against the Grand Prince, he captures some merchants making their way to Byzantium at the mouth of the Dnieper River, which was the trade route of the time. Sievolod called for David and decided to throw him a bone and give him the town of Dorogobuj along the river, which is, you know, quite nice. He's like, all right, I understand you're going to keep messing, th messing things around, so here's, here's more land. However, the Izyaslavici were getting quite restless. Sivold was getting quite old, and no succession plan was made. Who would stand to inherit the throne? Would it be Vladimir Monomak? Would it be Sviatopolk? Or would it be Yaropolk? Yaropolk was already not feeling great at having lost face for losing Turov to the Izgoy, and now, as the eldest remaining son of Izyaslav, was taking issue at his uncle for just taking what was meant to be his inheritance. He planned to attack his uncle, but the secret was revealed rather quickly as Yaropolk took after his father and wasn't actually that secretive with his plans. To deal with Yaropop, Sievolod sent... Who else? He sent his son. He sent his son um, to deal with the problem. You know, as I mentioned before, this episode is turning to everyone but Sievolod, but send Vladimir to deal with it. Okay. Yaropop flooded the thought of 
the best Kievan general coming to attack him, and went to Poland. Finally, they changed the, where they go to. In Yaropolk's haste, he fled alone and left his whole family entourage and his, and his aging mother in the town of Lutsk. Um, Vladimir arrived into Lutsk and captured it, and everyone surrendered to him immediately to prevent any bloodshed. And then he took Yaropolk's property for himself and took a lot of goods back to Kiev to give to his father. Wow, what a good son. I know, right? <laughs> yeah, you keep getting sent to do his dirty work, and he still has time to bring him a Father's Day gift. Exactly. <laughs> Vladimir Monomak, son of the year. <laughs> Which... We want we here at Zarpar would like to wish a happy Father's Day to everyone on behalf of Sviatoslav the First, son of Igor the First. Well, with the Izgoy threat stalled for now, Sivolo decided to look inwardly and decided that he knew the best way to showcase his faith: spending money on the church. <laughs> he built up two churches. Okay, so which one gets the giant bell that's stolen all the time? We have another church built, so somebody has to get a bell that gets stolen. You know, I think this one stays in Kiev. Oh, good for them. Yeah. yeah they, but they had they had bells, right? Yeah, they had bells. They always have bells. <laughs> yeah. That's my other thing besides tomes is bells. I'm a bells guy. <laughs> yeah. Yaropolk decided that things had cooled down enough and made his way back to Kiev, where he met with Vladimir Monomak and made peace with him. With his job done, Monomak returned to Chernigov and Yaropolk went back to Vladimir. That, mean, that being Vladimir Volinsk. Um, he found himself quite uncomfortable with the life in Vladimir Volinsk and decided to change his capital to Zvenigorod. But on the way there, he was murdered by an assassin named Neredets, who was probably sent by Rurik and Vasilko Rostislavich, possibly as a way to gain control over their t- his territory. At this point, Svetopok Izislavich decided to take his older brother's territory and leaves the principality of Novgorod and rules over Turov. But you know what? Svetopok had some daughters that are worth talking about. We, we mentioned the one daughter, Yanka. Well, Bianca Sievolodovna goes on a trip to Constantinople since the Rus needed a new metropolitan, which was like the guy in charge of the church in the area. And while she stayed in the Byzantine capital, she became inspired to open up a convent for the women in Kiev. When she returned, her father, Sievolod, helped pay for its building and named the convent Yanchini in her honor. This is cool because it's the first school for girls in medieval Russia. Uh, for noble women, I might say. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was gonna say, are you sure about that? Are you sure about that? Are you sure about everything? That? Like every because every time, every time in history, it's like the first woman to do this, the first woman to do that. It's like no, the first rich woman, rich white woman, usually in American history. Okay, Yank at the time decided the requirements for entering the school and what would be taught, along with who the preceptresses and teachers would be. And at the convent, noble girls could study writing, needlework, and other useful crafts, including rhetoric and singing. You know, the important stuff. Yeah, I mean, I will I will go to bed for writing and rhetoric. And singing. Music is important. It is. And needlework, I mean, it's quite more like a hobby. But hey, uh, that's that's not a dig at our stitching pals and the Rexypod community. Oh no, cross-stitching and stitching is awesome and they make yeah, really cool things. Yes. So if you, if you do need to work... We appreciate you here at Tsar Power. <laughs> well, Yanka's influence on Kiev and Rus would introduce the Byzantine tradition for educating upper-class women and would start the spread of convent schools within the realm. Many of these schools would be later founded by princesses, noble women, and abbesses and lead to the increased literacy among the female nobility. Uh, they were also educated in Greek and Latin, philosophy, and mathematics. And many nuns and abbesses became noted writers within the Kievan Rus. Interesting. Very interesting. So I think Yanka is pretty freaking awesome. And I wish we knew more about her. Yeah. Unfortunately, we're not ranking her, so... She'd she'd get a solid 10 for success. (laughs) Yeah. 
that that's yeah that's a pretty big success it is however sievelod felt himself getting sicker and sicker and he summoned vladimir monomach from chernigov monomach wept at the sight of his sick father and with that sievelod dies he was buried in kiev I thought you said this was going to be a long one. <laughs> well, this was, that was 40 minutes. I know. You know what? Sievelod did a fat lot of nothing because he was either too old or too sick to really do anything. And he decided that the best course of action would just be to have younger men counsel for him. And he moved away from having older, more knowledgeable retainers. Okay. So, if I can interrupt. that's doesn't help him be a more interesting person. In terms of history. However, it is a perfectly valid strategy to get other people to do everything for you. That's literally what being a Grand Prince of Kiev is. Or Grand Prince of anything or a king or anything ruler is. Is getting other people to do things for you. That is in the job description. It is. But here's what the Chronicles have to note about uh, the young men that Sievelod hired. Essentially, they made the people unable to access the prince's justice and led to an increased corruption amongst the judges who would rule in the favor of, guess who? The rich. And of course, Sievelod was increasingly unaware of this and made no attempt to fix any issues. So corruption just increases in Russia. I'm, I'm sorry. Nothing changed then, is what you're saying. Oh, and then um, here's a fun quote um, from the Nikonian Chronicle, which is something that Yaroslav is purported to have said to Sievelod. Quote, My son, there is a blessing upon you because I hear of your meekness, and I enjoy this because in this way you console me in my old age. I hope you will ascend to the throne of Kiev after your brothers in a righteous way and not by the way of violence. And when God leads you out of this earthly life, I want you to be buried in the same place where I shall be buried, in the vicinity of my grave, because I love you more than I do your brothers. End quote. Sievelod was Yaroslav's favorite. Well, you know what? I, I don't know. I mean, I guess, I don't know if I agree with Yaroslav. On that, I, I don't either. But, <laughs> but yeah, all right, all right, whatever, just whatever. So you ready to rank him? Yes. Okay. Special operatia. Special operations. How well do they do in battle? Lead in battle, or have others lead in battle for them? Well, so <laughs> what do you remember? He did a lot of the latter. <laughs> he did a lot of have others lead in battle for him, which you know is not a bad thing. He recognized he wasn't good at fighting. Yeah. He wasn't when he was when he wasn't uh, the Grand Prince of Kiev when he was just oh wait no sorry that was uh, that was the other guy's son never mind but the point is yeah he he knows that he is bad at fighting and so he just had his son do do it for him and his son did pretty well and it, it's it's also worthy of noting that when he did do a lot of fighting himself he did lose quite often. So it's, it mm. was, he reckoned, but he did recognize that, hey, I should have someone else do my work for me, which ended up being a lot of his reign is just getting other people to do his work for him. Mm. Um, and later, you know, and he was able yeah. to deal with usurpers and tribals. And as we said earlier, valid strategy, valid strategy. Yeah. So what were you saying, Roberto? Sorry. You know, that was it. Um, so what, do you, what, how many points do you want to give him? Um, well, he did not lose territory and although he he recognized that he wasn't good enough a fighter to fight his brothers so he initially surrendered and then only came in later so that was quite strategically wise of him because if he had gone to battle maybe he would have died mm -hmm. so he is the master of the tactical retreat i guess exactly 
as in you're literally always retreating because you never entered in the first place. It's a, you know, living to see another day is better than dying to blaze of glory. Yeah. But it doesn't help you get points. Mm, no, I, I have to give him points for that, honestly. Because if you live to see another day, that again, that, that's that's kind of a necessary strategy. There's a difference between courage and stupidity, and he recognized that difference. Alrighty, so what are you giving him? I'll, I'll, I'll give him like a, a little more than a middle of the road, so like a six. Because I don't, I don't recall anything super notable. Is the thing? Yeah, there was nothing super notable, and it, you know he did send his son to you know lead in battle for him, but because Lady mm. Ramonamak ends up being spoiler alert a ruler, I don't want to give him the, his the points for doing things for his dad. So I'm gonna give him a three, um, just because he mm-hmm. lost a lot, but. You know what he did do? He was able to resolve a lot of fights peacefully and, um, you know, bribe people away. So I even think, you know, it's a diplomatic battle. So I think that's like he used diplomacy mm-hmm. to win some of his battles. And that's where he gets his points from me. So that's a three. Yeah. Um, are you gonna... And remember, it's not fighting. It's just aggressive negotiations. Exactly. So that is a nine for special operations. Ooh, Success. How successful were they in running their nation? What cultural significance did they leave behind? Uh, I'm not feeling cultural significance, not feeling a whole lot, because it was his wife, I think it was, his, that was establishing... His daughter, his daughter. The convi- his daughter, yeah. He's a good dad for letting his daughter do and he that. Paid, and he paid for it, too. So like, Yeah, presumably paying for it, but she did all the work. It yeah. wasn't him. He didn't do much of note. Like he built, so, he built two churches, and he helped his daughter start a convent. I mean, he did also... S- inherit all of Roos. So, like, he wasn't, like, dividing power between his brothers anymore. He just got the whole thing. But... And he also didn't... He didn't lose it. I don't know how much... How much how much territory did he gain? He didn't gain any territory, but he didn't lose any territory. Yeah, yeah, So, like, true neutral. Like, I'll give him a true neutral middle of the road five. Yeah, I'm gonna give him a... I wanna be... I'm mean to this guy today. I'm giving him a four. Um, just because I wanna be able to, like... It's not that mean. It's not that mean. It's just a bit less than... Mid- True neutral, but he didn't do, he didn't add anything to Roos, and it was, you know, other people had to do it for him, which is, you know, coming to that point where other people are doing it for him, and that's, he he Mm. didn't have the, you know, the the gall to just like, I'm going to do this. It's like, no, you, oh, you want to do that? That's okay, you do it. I'm going to sit here and just kind of, you know, drink and frolic around and let other people ruin everything. But yeah, church is an education. Here you go. That's fine. That's this is how I would rule. <laughs> I don't like fighting. I like drinking and frolicking, and I like tomes. And that's and you know, centers of learning. Okay, that's this is what I would do. This is the my ideal ruling life. Okay, not dying in battle. So that is a nine for Uspiach. Compromat. Blackmail. What things did they do behind closed doors or outwardly that made others dislike them? Um. Well, I, I can't. I can't think of anything. Well, he kicked Izislav out of the throne during his second reign, alongside his brother Sviatoslav. Um, so that's mm-hmm. you know, people didn't like that. The church was like, "Why did you do that?" Until Sviatoslav paid them off, and then he may have had a hand in murdering uh, Gleb and Roman Sviatoslavich. There was a lot of bribery too. He has a lot of bribery. He bribed the Cumans. He bribed a lot of people to do things for him. Um, and then, like, remember that quote I just read at the end where, like, he was the people weren't getting, you know, the prince's justice because of his corrupt, uh, oh, yeah, your, yeah, yeah. you know, his corrupt retainers. Yeah, yeah, corruption. So there's a lot of corruption. So I'm going to give him, like, 
Well, yeah. what, what are you what are you planning on giving him? I don't know. Um, he he killed family members, right? He did. May may he may have ordered it. Yeah. Okay. On the thing of like corruption of like judges constantly favoring the rich, that that's still still true. That has literally always been true. Nothing happened. Maybe it got worse. Uh, a little bit worse, but fundamentally, that is like nothing changed. Mm-hmm. So. I don't know. I'm again. I'm just going with a five again because nothing stands out to me as particularly heinous. Well, if nothing stands out, do you really want to give him points for compromat? Oh yeah, that's right. I'm giving him a zero for compromat, honestly. I mean, same because like you know, it was Sviatoslav who kicked his brother out, and then he just tagged along, and then mm-hmm. we don't know if he actually murdered his um um his brothers. So like we you know we don't want to yeah. do anything else. No. Yeah, or his were, nephews. I you know, mean, they, yeah. they they wink, wink, committed suicide by being shot twice in the back of the head. Wink, wink. Yeah. All right. So that's a zero for compromat. All righty. Oh my god! Basically, how good looking were they? All righty. Here's his picture. All right. Uh, was a painting, or <laughs> I don't know. Uh. <laughs> 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 yeah, I'm pretty sure he has a lazy eye. <laughs> That's from the uh, Russian Titulyarnik. <laughs> uh, um. uh, uh, I hope he fired this portrait artist. <laughs> he was oh, dead, oh he was dead god, at this I'm point. So. I'm laughing so hard. <laughs> oh my god. Oh, did they, were they painting his corpse? <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> this is like, this is like um, 600 years after the fact. Uh, okay, yeah, fair enough. I mean, he's just a he's just a guy. He's yeah, no, he's he's not good to look at. Um, here's another one. <laughs> but whoever whoever pointed this just like has no conception of realistic depictions of a human being. So they they clearly just give him like a lazy eye when it's supposed to be a side profile. Mm-hmm. It's very funny. Uh, here's the other one. Um, the this guy this portrait artist made his hair look like he's wearing a fur hat. He looks like Toad. <laughs> and then here's the last one. And this one is a fresco from the Novospaskaya Monastery in Moscow. Well, he looks more noble in this one. He has less of a weird shaped face. I, I mean, the first one, he he looks like Steve Buscemi. Yeah. If you got Steve Buscemi to play him in a movie, I would totally buy it. Oh my God. He does look like Steve Buscemi, doesn't he? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's got those. Yeah, yeah. And then, uh, and like Steve Buscemi, like Steve Buscemi now, but even like his entire life, he's had like those weird aged eyes mm-hmm. that are like extremely wide. Uh, that, that is what he looks like. He, he looks like Steve Buscemi with a forked beard. <laughs> okay. So, what, what do you want to give him from Bojemoy? I'm not, I'm giving him a very, um, he, he looks fine in the last fresco, but. Given that two out of the three of one depict him as being very not good looking, I'll, I'll give him a one for Bojemoy. I'm giving him a one for Bojemoy, mostly because he was able to make me laugh so much when I saw this picture. Yeah. <laughs> so that's a two for Bojemoy. Yeah. Literally funny looking. Uh, but here's a picture by Ivan Belibin of like the, mm. basically the justice system. Oh, this in, is a nice. Basically, yeah. It's the justice system during... Sievolod's reign, mm-hmm. but like basically lots of bribery and just kind of how the area, how the era, how the areas may have looked like during the time. Right. 
So yeah, no, this is a nice painting. Yeah, no have a lot in I there. I can't though. see who is supposed to be. No, it's just I just this yeah. is just a picture that was um that I found related to the era and I thought you would like it. So I just wanted you to see it. Yeah, yeah, I like this artist style. Yeah. I didn't he also illustrate Russian fairy tales? Yes. Yeah, yeah, I love this artist style. Yeah. Okay, last ranking category. Vladichistva. Sovereignty. How long did they last on the throne? How long do you think he lasted, Brendan? I want to say he lasted a while, given his policy of trying not to die in battle. So I'll give him 10 years, maybe. Maybe, maybe more like, now. actually, I'm, I'm going to say 25 years. Um, so it was actually in between that. He ruled for 15 years, um, from January 1st, 1077 to July 1st, 1077. I should have stuck with 10 because I was closer. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then, yeah, so he ruled, Sevalod ruled from January 1st, 1077 to July 1st, 1077. And from October 1st, 1078 to April 13th, 1093 for a total of 15 years or 5.97 years on the throne, giving him, well, 5.97 points um, for 15 years. Yeah. Um, yeah. So not, not too shabby, not too long. Um, and then that gives them mm. a total point, um, total amount of, if I could do my mathematics here, of, oh, 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 that is 25.97 points. And that puts him, meaning he is in 11th place. He's not ranking well. Let's just say that. <laughs> Don't ask me what rank they are to date. Cause I can't, I need to do, I need to fix the Excel sheet. That's what I forgot to do, but he's, you know, <laughs> he's not doing great. Um, so the question is. Is he, you know, does he scurry enough? Does he order people to do things for him enough to party it out in the Kremlin? Or does he get shipped off to the Gulag? So at some point in the series, my criteria just became whether or not I was bored. I was interested when we were talking about his daughter establishing a center of learning. Well, that was his daughter. And I think it'd be interesting. <laughs> yeah. And I think it'd be interesting to look into what sort, you know, what sort of texts were being put out by these nuns and abbesses and young women? Because, frankly, a lot of the most interesting medieval philosophy in history has come mostly from women. Think of, like, the Mirror of Simple Souls or uh, during the time of the Counter-Reformation, St. Teresa of Avila. But that was his daughter. That wasn't him. All he did was pay for it. He did not do the work himself so yeah he bored me gulag my i was gonna say off to gulag as well because he was boring he didn't do anything and um yeah he was just boring like how how do how how Mm -hmm. how are you able to you know run a country to the like basically to the ground and then i didn't oh yeah i didn't mention he spent a lot of money because because of the corruption so yeah (laughs) not great i would say i'm sorry but i'm not because i knew this was going to happen off to the gulag with you. And now it is time for recommendations. Brendan, what do you want to recommend this t- this time? Roberto, I have to do a shameless plug. I'm sorry. I have to do it. It's your podcast too. Go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> this is your podcast too. Make your all your shameless plugs. Yeah. Uh, this week, I would appreciate it if you would check out uh, two th- two projects that I've started on my own. 
The first one is, uh, wait, did I already talk about my Substack? Yes. I think so. Yeah, okay. We didn't recommend well, it. I'll plug that later. I'll plug it later. I put out an album under the artist named Bargeist, um, spelled B-A-R-G-E-I-S-T, called Eunuch Maker. And it is a glitch slash noise album that is a commentary on a lot of things. It's a commentary on the role that new media, such as social media or the printing press, or overly credulous uh, local news, plays in spreading conspiracy theories such as the blood libel, early mo- the witch hunts of the early modern period, or the satanic panic. If you enjoy noise music, or if you don't, I would appreciate it if you check it out. You can also follow my artist profile page on Instagram at uh hold on i have to double check what my ad is at bargeist music no caps or spaces just b-a-r-g-e-i-s-t music uh the album art for that was done by me and you can find it at bargeistmusic.bandcamp.com if you would like a free copy of it i have like 200 free downloads feel free to shoot me a dm on instagram or twitter or what have you discord if i have you added on discord and i will be glad to provide you with a free download code otherwise it is a pay what you want on on bandcamp cool yeah i will post all of that in the episode description so you can feel free to click straight to that so i want to recommend making and eating a spanish tortilla (laughs) (laughs) um it's pretty easy to make um and brendan can probably guess that i made this around the time i got baptized (laughs) um yeah, no, I had it. <laughs> yeah. Um, so j- all you need to do is dice up two small potatoes and a fourth of a yellow onion. So you get about two cups of, re- of your preferred oil. I like olive oil. And then put it into a 10-inch frying pan and fry them all up together for about 20 minutes um, once the oil is nicely heated and shimmering, maybe slightly bubbling. While, that's, while, you, while your potatoes and onions are frying, you grab eight eggs, you crack them open, and then beat them with some salt to taste. I barely use salt because of health issues, so for me, it's enough to justify it. Anyways, once the potatoes are done, you drain the oil, but keep it in the container since it'll be flavored oil now with the onions and potatoes flavor mixed in. So, like, I could, I used to use it for cooking for quite a while afterwards. Now that that's done, you beat the eggs again until they're frothy, and then add the potatoes and onions to them, and then you mix them all together and leave them alone for about five minutes. So while that's, you know, while you're waiting for them to kind of, like, do their thing... You clean the frying pan that you're using and now heat it back up to medium high and add a bit of the oil that you just drained um, until it covers a bit of the pan, but not, but do not have a puddle because you do not want a puddle of oil during this. Um, then you add the egg potato onion mixture and do not cover it. You want it to be out in the open air uh, and then stir occasionally to kind of make sure the bottom gets cooked well and then you leave it alone. And then once you see the eggs have been mostly cooked, um, you grab a plate, you cover the pan Flip it out, and then the egg pie should be on the plate, and then you slide it carefully back to the uncooked side, so the bottom, so that top side now gets cooked, and then you add two Swiss cheese pieces on top of the eggs. And after like three minutes, feel free to cover it to melt the cheese, you serve it on a large plate, and cut it up into pie slices. You can either eat it cold or hot on its own, you can add stuff to it, whatever it is you want, you can have it whenever you want during the day. Um, It's your choice. So, uh, Brendan, what did you think of the Spanish tortilla when you had it? Uh, Roberto, it was delicious. It was delectable. There we go. So, 
cooking with Roberto without the without the videos. There we go. Um, now, <laughs> now to get more direct contact with us, feel free to access our website at czarpower.com. There you can find the show notes, pictures, bibliography, and vote on whether you think Sievolo deserved the Kremlin or the Gulag. If you pick, you know, if you pick the Kremlin, you're thinking wrong. It also has links to our <laughs> social media, which is just at czarpowerpod. Czar is spelled T-S-A-R. And Brendan, where can they find you? The best place to get in contact with me is at Foster underscore writing on Twitter. You can also follow my substack at adventedorgans.substack.com, where I write short essays um, on a variety of topics having to do with everything from noise music to body horror media to contemporary political issues. And once again, you can also find uh, my musical project, Bargeist, at bargeistmusic.bandcamp.com or at bargeistmusic at Instagram. Bargeist is spelled B-A-R-G-E-I-S-T. Besides Unique Maker, you can expect a lot of other stuff having to do with dark ambient, um, experimenting with no input mixing, and other classic noisy musical techniques. If you would like to support the show and help us expand and grow, feel free to subscribe to our Patreon like Mandy and Adam did to get access to bonus episodes for both Czar Power and the History of Sacramento, Georgia. We also have an Amazon book wishlist, PayPal, and coffee. If you'd like to do something that's free, leave a review on your favorite podcast host, be it at Apple, Spotify, or anywhere else. And that's a dosvidenetovarishi from me. And from me, remember, Volosh Poros Dayet Parazitov. Bye-bye. Bye.